0: Matthew chapter 8 verses 16 through 27. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him?
1: Well, before we... Well, Keep your Bible open. Before we do that, though, um, a couple of things I want to touch base about. First of all, a whole lot of people here were at a women's retreat yesterday, and I think that's worthy of a race style. Hallelujah! Yeah? (laughs) Hallelujah! Was that great? I heard great things about it. I hope you were ministered to. I hope you were built up. And um, if you were not able to participate in that, I just want to say we still love you and find somebody else in this room who would love to tell you about all the good stuff from yesterday. Um, so I want to say thanks. There were, I think, about 10 women who helped make that event happen. I'm not going to name you all by name right now, but thanks to those of you who devoted countless hours um, making that happen and making that cool ministry uh, venue work. So thanks to you. Also, um, something uh, just came to my came my way this afternoon, and I want to invite you all into it. Um, y- you know that our host congregation here is uh, called Advent Christian Church. Um, some sweet people um, who are kind enough to let us use their building. Um, And in addition to letting us use their building, they've become closer and closer friends. And over time, there's this kind of growing sense of kind of brotherhood and sisterhood, and maybe even this kind of prayerful sense of hope and anticipation um, that things could move even further toward becoming one body eventually. Um, We're not there yet. Now is not like a major, major announcement if you're getting super excited. Um, but, uh, But we're moving forward by God's grace. This has been, I think, from what I've heard, A significant week for them in that process. I don't even know all the details myself, so I'm not trying to be like coy and hide things from you. I've just heard this has been a big week. Um, They've been having some some serious discussions about that, um, and then this afternoon, um, Elias Mull, who's here and in the back of the room right now, and who is, yeah, his brother's pointing to him, uh, Elias Mull, who's here today, and who's part of the Advent family, got in touch with me and said that he is uh, in charge of kind of steering through next Sunday's service for Advent at 10 a.m., um, and he said their plan is not to do kind of the normal service, but they're going to change up their plans a little bit, they're going to put a heavy emphasis on prayer and praying together, and Elias got in touch and said, "I would love it if a bunch of people from Advent could come and join us next Sunday morning uh, for that service filled with prayer." And so I said, "I'll be there." Um, I haven't even checked with my wife yet, who's over here. Can I be there? Is that is that go with our calendar? I hope. Um, so I told him, I told Elias, "I'm hoping to be there, um, and uh, I'd, I'd love to invite you all to come next Sunday here." 10 a.m. Um, and let's see what God does. Um, that should be a sweet time praying together. If we gather together as the body of Christ with other believers and join together, drawing close to God in prayer, that sounds like a, a winning formula to me. What else are you going to do? Watch pre, pre-game pre shows for NFL or something like that all morning long? So come on over here at 10 a.m. And we'd love to... Uh, I'd love to see you there. Um, okay, so those are the couple things. Now, we are... Jumping back in here to the Gospel of Matthew, um, which is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament, let me just give you a quick orientation then we 're going to dive into a powerful story here. Quick orientation. Matthew is one of the four Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell us the biography of Jesus about his his life and his ministry. His death and His resurrection. And the Gospel of Matthew is all building up to what Ray drew our attention to a few minutes ago, as we said over and over again, the whole Gospel of Matthew. Every part of this book is building toward that moment when after his death and his resurrection, Jesus will look at his disciples and say, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's where this whole book is leading to, and we're in a section of Matthew's gospel that draws our attention over and over and over again to the power or the authority of Jesus. Now, I know, of course, some of us arrive today in different places. Some of us arrive with a lot of tears in our eyes from the last week or the last month. Real hardship in life. Some of us arrive today totally alive with faith in Jesus, ready to sacrifice anything and follow him, ready to shout out "Hallelujah" over and over again, right? Some of us stumble in here with our minds full of doubts and questions, maybe feeling even jaded or disillusioned. Maybe you feel perplexed about God, given what you've experienced in your life lately. Some of us find ourselves just barely able to put one foot in front of the other. I'm glad that you're here, if that's you. But today's section of Matthew's Gospel invites all of us to take a step forward in the journey of following Jesus. It invites all of us to move forward in a journey. You might notice there's journey language that's going to take up a a lot of the next little bit of Matthew's gospel here. You heard uh, heard it read at the beginning of the scripture reading today in Matthew chapter 8. Uh, verse 18, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Jesus is calling people to get on the move somewhere. And then in 8.23, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And then if you look down further on the page in Matthew 8.28, when he came to the other sides. And then in chapter 9, verse 1, getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. This section of The gospel invites us to join the disciples in a journey with Jesus, in a journey of discipleship. And notice this, a journey implies moving. A journey implies something more than staying exactly where you are right now. A journey implies going somewhere. And I mentioned a moment ago, I know that we all arrived at different spots in our lives. We arrived today with different emotions that we're feeling. We arrived today in different parts of our own journeys of discipleship. But what if God intends to meet you right where you are, but not leave you there today? What if God is inviting you on a journey of faith, which is meeting you right where you are, but not leaving you there, but moving you forward in his intentions for your life? Matthew's gospel is inviting us to join the disciples on a journey of discipleship. Matthew's gospel is inviting us. The Lord himself is inviting us through his word today to move To go on a journey forward in our faith. The story of this journey begins in kind of a surprising way. We're just going to kind of follow this journey and pause for a few moments of reflection along the way today. This journey that Jesus calls his disciples on begins in kind of a a surprising way here. In verse 18, he gives orders to go to the other side. And then if you're there among the disciples, what you see next is probably a little bit surprising. Jesus says, let's go to the other side. And then a scribe comes over and says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. I mean, this sounds really promising, right? Jesus, I'll follow wherever... Doesn't this sound like what we're hoping to hear people say? And so the Jesus that I would imagine would say to this person, great, get on the boat, let's go. Because the Jesus that I imagine is a lot like most celebrity leaders that I've seen in this world. He's mainly interested in increasing the number of people who are getting on the bus. But the real Jesus doesn't work exactly the same way as the Jesus I imagine. The real Jesus is not just trying to get more people on the bus with him. The real Jesus is more interested in what's going on at the heart level than just getting more numbers added to the club. And so when this man comes along, a a scribe, a Bible teacher, and he says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus doesn't do what you or I would expect. Jesus asks a challenging and penetrating heart-level question, or leaves a challenging and penetrating heart-level challenge for this man. He says, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of, the man, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head, verse 20. What is Jesus getting at here? Jesus is pressing beneath the surface level, and Jesus is challenging this man by addressing issues of the heart. Along comes another fellow, and if we're watching and we're getting ready for this journey that Jesus calls us into, now another person comes along. He's described in verse 21 as one of the disciples. In other words, he's somebody who's been listening to Jesus for a little while. And he expresses some interest also in learning from and following Jesus. But he says something in verse 21. You can see it there. His comment is, Lord, let me first. I think that word first is important. Let me first go and bury my father. And if we're there and watching along as Jesus interacts with this person and we hear this request, first let me go and bury my father, we're probably aware this guy's request might be an issue of delaying discipleship for a number of years before his dad dies, maybe a matter of decades. If we're there listening, we're probably also aware that that the Ten Commandments teach us to honor your father and mother. That's a good thing. In fact, in other times, Jesus will explain that that command to honor your father and mother is not only a command for little kids to obey mom and dad. It's a command for adults to care for aging parents. That's how Jesus applies that command. And so there's something too. This issue that as disciples of Jesus, we are actually called to care about family members, to care about our, our mother, our father. And yet, Jesus does something shocking here. He doesn't just say, great, hop on board the boats We're always looking for more people to join us. The real Jesus doesn't always act like the Jesus I would imagine. Apparently, the real Jesus thinks that heart level work is more important than just trying to get more people on board the bandwagon or the boat. Jesus says to the Bible teacher and the scribe, in essence, what if following me leads to losing some of your reputation? It's not necessarily wrong for people to respect a Bible teacher But a Bible teacher or a student of the Bible who wants to follow Jesus needs to face this hard question. If we're following the son of man who has less security and comfort in life than foxes or birds. Then what if following Jesus might end up costing us some of our reputation as well. And Jesus says something not only to this Bible teacher, he says something to this man who wants to put family first. What if following Jesus may mean disappointing your parents' expectations for what you're going to do with your life? What if following Jesus is going to lead some people in your family or your friend network to say you're being an irresponsible son? You're supposed to take care of the family business. What if following Jesus, I mean, it's a good thing to honor your father and mother. And yet along comes this man who says, yes, I want to follow you, Jesus, but family first. Then you, Jesus. Listen, as a pastor, I do want to encourage you to love your family members. Faith and family are both good and right and God-honoring and biblical priorities in life. But here's the thing, which comes first? To use the word that's found in this passage, which steers our decisions. The real Jesus will not let faith in him take a back seat, even to good things like family commitments. The way of the kingdom works like this seek first. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you to put family ahead of faith is like putting a cart in front of a horse. You get the idea, right? A cart and a horse is a good thing to link a cart and a horse together. Good stuff happens when you link a cart and a horse together, but they have to be linked together in the proper order. Horses are good at pulling carts. Carts are no good at pulling horses. And the same is true in the relationship between our faith and our family. Jesus says it is good to link together your faith and your family, but one pulls the other. And let's be clear, you need to put faith in me first, Jesus says. And that will have good effects pulling forward the way you relate to family members. Yes. But if you put good things, even good things, like your commitments to family, ahead of your faith in Jesus, the result the result is like asking a cart to pull. A horse. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Anything else first is idolatry. And so, as Jesus offers this invitation to follow him on a journey of discipleship, we need to realize that he's calling us. To let go of other things that would take his place as first in our lives. Here's a first reflection on this passage. Following Jesus in the journey of discipleship is not as easy as we'd like to imagine. I think most of us would like to think that Jesus is just a nice add-on to our lives. Look, I got a relatively good thing going on here in my life. Now, what if I could just add Jesus into it without eliminating any of the other good things? But Jesus will not be made an add-on to a, an otherwise good life. Discipleship is not as easy as we'd like to imagine. It's not as cheap as we might like to imagine. The real Jesus wants to be aware of and prepared for and not surprised by the cost Of following Him above all else. Now in verse 23, the journey begins to move. Back in verse 18, Jesus gave directions to begin moving. And a couple people came along and said, sure, we want to join you in this. Jesus asked some heart level questions because nothing else can come first in following Him. But then in verse 23, the disciples get in the boat and they do follow Him. But now but now things don't go as expected in the boat. You know what happens. You heard it read a moment ago. Verse 24, and behold, there arose a great storm, a mega storm out in the sea. So that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. So you can picture the scene for a moment if you're there and you get in the boat and you start sailing along and there's probably something in your head that's like, I heard those hard questions that Jesus asked those other people and too bad for them that they didn't have the spiritual courage to follow Jesus, but I'm in the boat. And now that I'm in the boat with Jesus, it's all smooth sailing from here, right? Wrong. Getting in the boat with Jesus doesn't keep us away from the storms of life. In fact, sometimes getting in the boat with Jesus sails us right into the storms of life, right? You get on the boat and you start sailing along and along comes a storm and storms are pretty normal out on the Sea of Galilee because of some of the geographical features with high mountains and a and a low body of water together. Storms are common, but you start sailing along and the rain starts and the wind is blowing and the waves are picking up and maybe you're not the most experienced sailor in the world, but you do the smart thing to do. You know, like if you're in an uncomfortable situation and you don't want to pretend to be too scared You look at the people Who know what's going on Right So like if you're in an airplane And you're flying along And there's turbulence And you don't want to look like a fool What do you do You look at the flight attendants To find out Are they panicking or not Right And they're sitting there Calm as a cucumber They're cool No trouble at all And so you just You go back to deep breathing exercises Close your eyes And do your best Not to make a fool of yourself By panicking When there's no reason to panic But here in this boat You start looking around At the flight attendants The professional Fishermen who spend their time out on this uh, on this sea on this body of water who know what these storms are like and you take a peek out of the corner of your eye hoping to be reassured that this is all going to be okay and instead of sitting there calm as a cucumber they are freaking out. The professional fishermen are watching the waves splash into the boat. They're watching the water level rise inside the boat, which means the boat is getting lower and lower. And they're starting to yell at each other, we're dying in here. And so what do you do? You freak out along with them, right? The only reasonable thing to do. And so then you guys all together, the professional fishermen and the non-professional fishermen, run to the back of the boat where Jesus, for some reason, for some reason is asleep. And you wake him up. And in that moment of desperation, you cry out, Lord, save us. We are dying out here. We started following you and we're dying as a result. Jesus, wake up and do something about this. In fact, the Gospel of Mark adds a little bit of color commentary at this point that Matthew doesn't include. Mark chapter four verse thirty-eight adds a little bit more that tells us some of the emotional flavor of the disciples' question as they're waking up Jesus. According to Mark four thirty-eight, they say, "Teacher, do you not care that we're dying?" And I want to pause on this for a second because if you've been a disciple of Jesus for any amount of time, you've probably been there before. Whether it's a sudden thunderstorm or a near-death auto accident when you see the truck go screaming inches from your car, Whether it's the horrors of cancer, hitting too close to home. And in that moment with the auto situation or the storm or the cancer or the COVID or the disease or whatever it may be, all of a sudden you realize there is a massive storm that is much stronger than i am this one's beyond my ability to control and in the middle of that storm beyond your ability to control it feels like you're sinking it feels like you're drowning whether emotionally or physically or spiritually And it can feel like Jesus is asleep. It can feel like Jesus isn't paying any attention at all. And like the disciples 2,000 years ago, we can find ourselves saying, Jesus, don't you even care that I'm dying here? See, we assume that if God loves us, he won't let us go through the storms. Yet here are the disciples of Jesus following Jesus in a path that leads right into the heart of a truly terrifying storm. Perhaps it is possible after all that the Lord can love us and allow us to pass through the storm at the same time. See, here's a second point of reflection we need to pause on for just a moment. The journey of discipleship will include frightening storms. And the reality of frightening storms that we go through in our lives does not mean that the Lord does not love us. It doesn't mean that he's forgotten us. It doesn't mean that he's absent. It simply means that the Lord's steadfast love is such that he's able to love us through the storm. And not only when we're away from the storm. In fact, the greatest proof of all about that issue, the greatest proof of all is Jesus himself, right? The beloved Son of God, en route to eternal glory But only by way of that cloudy and dark afternoon when the sky was covered with black and his own voice would cry out the lament of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The greatest proof is Jesus himself, the beloved son of God and root to glory, but only only by way of the cross. Perhaps it's possible. Perhaps it's possible that the Lord can allow us to pass through the storm and truly love us at the same time. Well, Jesus is awakened. And what he does next is shocking He says to them in verse 26, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? So here we are in our moment of desperation, crying out, Lord, rescue us! And Jesus wants to make this a little discipleship opportunity. Can you take care of the storm first, Jesus? I'm glad to do discipleship when everything is peaceful and calm and easy. But Jesus doesn't always, the real Jesus doesn't always work the way that I would expect him to, does he? If we're there in the boat with Jesus crying out in desperation, Lord save us, we're perishing, and he turns around and and starts this discipleship moment, I think most of us are like, we'll do the discipleship thing, just get me out of the trial first. But here's something fascinating about Jesus. Sometimes he does his best discipleship work, not outside of the trial, but in the storm. Not apart from the storm, but while we're still going through it. And so Jesus asks not only those kind of first people back there, and, you know, we're kind of like, yeah, that guy, he was too attached to his reputation. Yeah, that guy, he was too attached to his family. Of course, they needed discipleship questions. But now Jesus looks at the ones who got in the boat, and he's got discipleship questions for the ones who are right there with him as well. Why are you so afraid, O oh, you of little faith, Jesus asks. Why are you so afraid, O oh, you of little faith? So here's a third reflection point that I want to pause on. The journey of discipleship through the storm will test our faith. And here's a hint. Sometimes our faith is rightly described as little. Now, let me say a couple things about that for just a second. On the one hand, if you hear this and you're like, you know what? My faith is little sometimes. I want you to know very clearly That you don't need to feel condemned on the basis of the fact that your faith is sometimes or often little. Do you notice how the movement of this passage works? Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Why are you so afraid, O you of little faith? And then he does not wait for them to develop their faith further. And then say, good job, now your faith got high enough, now I'll calm the storm. What does Jesus do? He looks around the boat, he looks around at the crew of disciples with little faith, and he says, I'm doing this one for you, even though your faith is little. Jesus looks around at a crew of disciples with little faith, and he says, I'm moving forward with my plan of redemption. I'm not waiting for your faith to get strong enough first. And so if you find yourself in a place today or if you find yourself at a point in your journey of discipleship where you just have to admit my faith is little right now. I want you to hear that you don't need to feel condemned about that. Why? Because as we've said before, it's not the quality of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. Which is to say, it's not your much strength that saves you, it's Jesus who saves you. And so hallelujah, right? Seriously. For people like you and me who often stumble along behind Jesus with little faith, this is good news. Our Redeemer doesn't wait for us to muster up enough faith to move forward in His plan of rescue. Instead, He looks around at a crew of disciples with little faith and He says, I love you so much. That I see how little your faith is right now and we're still moving forward with this plan of redemption. He's not as easily offended as you and I are. He's much more gracious than you and I are. He's much more patient than you and I would be. He's much more faithful than you and I are. If you find yourself in a place where your faith is rightly described as little, you don't need to feel condemned. And listen, there have been points in my life when that was essential for me. Because my journey of faith has not always looked like a graph that moves on a straight line from lower to larger over time. If you were to draw the progress of my faith, and Jesus describes faith in such a way here that it can be weaker or stronger, right? And if you draw that graph, it's not like I started with a little bit of faith, and then after two years I had this much, then after three years I had this much. For me, this, the map was like boom, and then boom, and then boom, and then sometimes like boom, crash, Almost nothing left, and in those moments when we're not soaring and we're as confident as God as we've ever been, but in those moments when we feel like the doubts are all around us and the questions plague us and we're, and we don't feel as confident as we felt last week, listen, even our feelings and our doubts don't disqualify us from the grace of God. Even our emotional ups and downs that get tied to our faith and even our questioning and our doubting don't disqualify us from being loved by Jesus who moves forward in the plan of redemption, even when our faith is little. And so let me tell you, if you are here today and your faith is little, you don't need to be condemned by that. Why? Because Jesus is full of mercy For little faith disciples like you and me. Jesus is full of compassion toward you. Today. Weak faith and all. If you arrive today with little faith, you don't need to be condemned. However. If you arrive today with little faith. Maybe like me, maybe like a lot of us, these words of Jesus should challenge us to move forward. Because while Jesus, full of mercy, meets us, even in those crash and burn moments of faith, when it seems like it's all gone, even when we're little faith disciples, He loves us and meets us in His mercy. But listen, Jesus in His mercy doesn't want to leave us there at the bare minimum. Jesus, in his love and mercy for you, meets meets us as disciples right where we are in the ups and even in the downs of discipleship. But when he meets us with little faith, he is drawing us and challenging us and motivating us and leading us from little faith to more faith. Not in a perfect straight line over time, at least not according to my experience, But listen, if you assess your own faith and you say, I'm not as confident in Jesus as I once was, or I'm not as confident as I would like to be, you need to know that you don't need to be, you don't need to feel condemned by that. But probably all of us who identify as followers of Jesus should be to some degree or another challenged by this. Your faith, as weak or as strong as you feel it is, can grow. Can grow. Your faith, as weak or as strong as you think it is, can be strengthened further beyond where you are today. And So as we pay attention to this story of Jesus with his disciples out in the storm, we need to realize that this journey of discipleship through the storm, it will test our faith, which is sometimes little. But pay attention to what happens next. Matthew chapter 8, verse 21. Excuse me, I'm so sorry, I messed that up. Matthew chapter 8, in the middle of 26. After Jesus says, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a mega calm. So, if we're there on the boat and we see the storm and we think, should I panic? And we look at the professional fishermen and we decide, yes, I should. And we go and we wake up Jesus and we say, rescue us, we're dying. I mean, there's probably some kind of faith involved in waking up Jesus and saying, rescue us. But listen, Jesus got up and spoke to the waves and the winds and they listened to him Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves and they obeyed him Jesus gets up in the middle of the storm and he rebukes the storm and it goes from mega storm to mega calm. Now what's everybody doing in the boat? Is described in the passage in verse 27. And the men marveled. They marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? I think often we teach the story about the storm and Jesus in such a way as to say you can feel perfectly calm all the way through your life of discipleship. Because Jesus has got this. And listen, I do want to tell you, you're okay if you're with Jesus. You're going to be good in the end. But I'd be lying if I told you that the authority of Jesus means there are no storms to go through, or that the storms themselves won't be terrifying, or that we won't find ourselves crying out, Lord, save me because I'm dying. In the middle of their journey, the disciples found themselves in dangerous situations and Jesus came through. But here's the thing, when Jesus comes through, they don't find that all of the crisis is over. They find that Jesus' authority over the wind and the waves has created, if you will, a new crisis. Who is this? What replaces a fear of dying is an awe-filled recognition that most people don't talk to the wind and the waves and find that the wind and the waves listen and obey. In fact, if you're there in the boat alongside those early disciples, you're aware that the sea, to everybody in your culture, is kind of a frightening place. You know, dangerous stuff happens out there. There are creatures that are kind of frightening that live down there. It's chaotic and unpredictable. Thousands have lost their lives out in the middle of this sea before. And so you understand that everybody in your culture... In fact, everybody in every culture that you're aware of recognizes the sea not as a peaceful place to go and kick up your feet at the beach. Kind of the way we think of a seaside vacation today. The sea is thought of as the origin of chaos in many religions of Jesus' day. It's where death and darkness and chaos reside. And here's Jesus crossing over the surface of death and darkness and chaos. And the storm comes along and threatens to take you down to your death as well. And Jesus speaks. It doesn't matter how many people cry out or scream at waves. Usually the waves just keep doing what they're doing. You can go and try and scream at the wind. Next time a tornado is buzzing through your neighborhood, screaming at the wind doesn't tend to do a whole lot of good. What kind of authority is this that speaks to wind and waves and they stop and obey? Psalm 89 verse 9 Speaks of the power of God himself over the wind and the waves. You rule over the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. And here's Jesus, fully human, so human that he's got limitations and he gets tired and he falls asleep. But here's this guy full of limitations who gets tired and falls asleep. And he stands up and he speaks to the wind and the waves and somehow they recognize his voice. And they recognize his voice as a voice to be obeyed without delay. Here's a question I want to ask. We talked before about how faith can be weaker and stronger. Jesus is calling us, he's telling us we're, we're okay with him, we're safe, even if our faith is small, but he's calling us to grow in our faith. Here's the thing, how do you grow in your faith? How do the disciples move forward in their faith in this passage? They don't get together and say, all right, let's all just think positive thoughts about how strong our faith is. What strengthens their faith in this passage? It's not something they discover by looking inside themselves that strengthens their faith in this journey. It's something they observe by looking at Jesus that strengthens their faith and helps them move forward in this journey, right? Which leads us to a fourth point of reflection. The journey of discipleship will lead us into... A deeper and deeper recognition of the astonishing authority of Jesus. How do we grow in our faith? By beholding Him. How do you have stronger faith? Not just by digging into your own heart and saying strong faith, strong faith, strong faith, strong faith. We grow our faith by looking at Jesus and saying, strong Savior, strong Savior, strong Savior, strong Savior. We don't grow in our faith by saying, more faith, more faith, more faith. We grow in our faith by looking at Jesus and saying, authority over the wind and the waves. Even they obey the sound of his voice. When he speaks, they hear a sound that they've listened to since the creation of the heavens and the earth. It's not by looking in at ourselves that our faith is developed. It's by looking at Jesus in his power and in his glory. In his astonishing authority. That our faith begins to grow. And I want to hasten on to a Fifth and final point of reflection here Is that the journey continues We're not going to keep on following today Into the next passage Which will also demonstrate the authority of Jesus Or the next passage after that In this ongoing journey with Jesus Which will also demonstrate his authority In certain ways We're not going to keep on going today But here's the thing The journey continued for those disciples back then They recognized enough. They had come some distance in their journey from where they were back on that shore to the wonder and awe that they stood in out in the middle of the water on the other side of the storm saying, what kind of man is this that the wind and the seas obey him? But the journey was still continuing for those disciples. Some days later, they would be in another boat. And they would see Jesus walking on the face of the waters stomping on the head of darkness and death and chaos. They saw Jesus walking across the face of the waters and they concluded, surely this man is the Son of God. They're still in journey. They're still on their way. For these disciples, the day was still coming when they would see Jesus rise again in new life and declare all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And they would follow him to the ends of the earth, going from one people group to another, going from one place to another, making disciples of Jesus in in the name of Jesus on the basis of his authority. The story would continue. The journey was not over for Matthew's churches, for the churches that he first sent this gospel story to. Those disciples in the early church who listened along to the teaching of, the teaching of Matthew's gospel and discovered that they too had some journeying left to do. And the story continues. The journey continues for us today. And so this passage leaves us with a massively important question. With the, When confronted with the authority of Jesus, the wind and the waves obey. When confronted with the authority of Jesus, the disciples stood in awe and eventually concluded, surely this man is the Son of God. And when confronted with the authority of Jesus today, how will you respond? How will you respond to the astonishing authority of Jesus? You may have heard C.S. Lewis's classic analysis of Jesus in the Gospels with someone who said and did the things that Jesus said and did, there are only 3 possibilities. Either he is a diabolical liar or he is a delusional lunatic. Or he truly is the Lord of all. And this account that we have read today is not everything to be said about Jesus and his authority. But as we face the invitation to follow Jesus with our lives... we have to ask ourselves this question. What sort of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? There's no diabolical liar. There's no delusional lunatic. He truly is the Lord of all. The King of kings. Not just a good teacher to be appreciated, but the king to be obeyed. Not just a leader to be followed, but a redeemer to be worshipped. What sort of a man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Listen, Jesus invites us into a journey of discipleship. And I need to be honest with you that that journey of discipleship will not keep us out of storms. It will very often lead us right through storms in our lives. And yet in those storms that Jesus leads us through, the pathway of discipleship calls us to a growing faith, a stronger and stronger faith, a deeper and deeper faith which develops not as we dig deep within ourselves and try to become strong enough but a deeper and deeper faith that develops as we join the disciples in standing in awe and saying what sort of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him the wind and the seas listen and obey The disciples drop to their knees and worship. How will you respond to the astonishing authority of Jesus? At this time, I'd like to invite those who are going to serve the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward.